Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. I'm Andrew Doyle, and in a moment, it'll be time for Headliners, where I'll be taking you through Tuesday's newspapers with the help of two wonderful comedians. Polly. Hello and welcome to Headliners uh, with me, Andrew Doyle. And joining me tonight, two of my favourite comedians in the world, although I say that every time I'm hosting. This is Josh Howey and Diane Spencer. How are you both? Josh has been trying on uh, some of Diane's nail, nail varnish. Yeah, that it's good. Smells really good. And now you're sniffing it. Yeah. It's a really good, it's a really good smell. I've got, this is my trans hand. That's your trans hand. <laughs> yeah. And the other hand is your cis hand. This is, this is my cis hand. This is my trans hand. Yeah. Oh, very nice. But I would say don't sniff it because we, we don't want to be endorsing substance abuse. Anyway, let's crack on and take a look. I bet you do. We're going to crack on and take a look at tomorrow's front pages. And we start with Tuesday's Daily Mail, which runs with strikes are a one billion pound lockdown for Britain as unions plunge nation into paralysis with Labour MPs on rail picket lines. Experts warn of disaster for the economy. We're going to be covering that in just one moment. Tuesday's Telegraph runs with PM unions harming those They are meant to help. And there's another article there. Seeing a GP remotely is greener, says NHS. Tuesday's Independent goes with union blames ministers for blocking rail pay deal. You can see that there is a uh, a theme developing here. And there's an image there of Marine Le Pen, who is jubilant, apparently, after voters yesterday gave her party its greatest ever parliamentary result. Tuesday's Guardian has a PM inflames rail dispute with strike breaker threat. Continuing the theme, we go to Tuesday's Financial Times. Business fears rail strikes cost as prospect grows of more walkouts. All very much doom and gloom when it comes to these strikes. We'll obviously be covering that in a moment. Tomorrow's Daily Mirror has planes, trains and automobiles. Well, actually, there's a little word crisis there. Planes crisis, trains crisis, automobiles crisis. And uh, Secretary Grant Shapps refuses to do anything, according to the Mirror. There's a picture there of Grant Shapps looking apathetic or maybe just pathetic and then we move on to tuesday's metro it's all going a bit loco mayhem for commuters as rail strike starts today and finally the daily star bucking the trend as ever this is a don't panic but they've just put the man with no brain in charge of the country this is a <laughs> this is very cruel they they describe dominic Raab as a brainless deputy pm i don't think there's any need for that kind of thing and those are the front covers So let's get right to it with Tuesday's Daily Mail. It looks like strikes could send the country into a state similar to lockdown, Josh. Now, you're oh, still sniffing your... I can't stop smelling it. You're sniffing your <laughs> nail varnish. This is, a, this is a whole new world for me. Uh, put your hand in your pocket <laughs> okay. and get on with, with, the with the story. What's going on here? Well, I know what I'm doing for the next week. 
uh, stuck at home. <laughs> just offering nail varnish. Yeah. Wait till you get to the remover. Oh, wow, there's a whole new world. Thank you, you're going to have to fill me in. Uh, so, the uh, obviously, rail strike's going ahead. Uh, it's going to cost about a billion pounds for right. the economy. Uh, that's not a good thing in the way that things certainly are at the moment. Uh, particularly hard hit is going to be London. I didn't know this, but supposedly London is lagging behind the rest of the country in its recovery of covid so yes. central London is going to be particularly hard hit. 600 businesses, nightclubs, places we work, um, and cinemas and theatres and all of that, and, and all the support structure for that and the whole of the country. Now, some people in the country are already kind of boasting, hey, we got a week off work, it's back to COVID times. Back to lockdown. A lot of people enjoyed lockdown, didn't they? they liked yeah, those ones who actually got paid money, people like us, who basically essentially were unemployed for two years, yeah. uh, it was really tough. Yes, this is the thing, isn't it? Diane, do you have any thoughts about the strikers? Are you... Full of rage or are you full of pity? I am not full of pity, I'll be honest with you. Okay. Because I do feel that the rail... I understand what the Tories are trying to do. They're trying to evolve the rail service. Mm. And Boris Johnson has been in trouble with the unions before when he was mayor of London and he was then trying to close ticket offices in the Tube network, for example. And they're basically striking to keep everything the same, essentially, because they don't want to change... Uh, they don't want to change the responsibilities of the guards. They don't want to close the the uh, ticket offices. They and they want a pay increase. Right, but uh, aren't they entitled to uh, for collective action to try and get a pay increase? I mean, let's think of it from their perspective. We are in this situation where we have a spiralling cost of living crisis. Uh, in April alone, workers' real pay pay plunged by five uh, percent. Yeah. I mean, this is. It's not good for workers, is it? So aren't they entitled? Well, it's a chicken and the egg situation where um, they're in a union, thus they get well paid, but then everybody else who's not in a union is going, wait a minute, maybe they're too well paid, but then if they weren't in a union, they wouldn't be that well paid. So um, but but also, aren't we thinking... Our, Go on. Also, from our perspective, because we're comedians, the hospitality industry, we were the first to shut, we were the longest that stayed shut, mm. we had to come back with the most alterations, we had to come back because we're face-to-face with people, we had to come back with all the uh, the guards that they had to put in, the stickers on the floor, and suddenly restaurants, they couldn't see as many people, perhaps yep. they couldn't have as many people. So our industry, at- entertainment, was hit really hard. It was. As had and, many other industries. Yeah, yeah. but These hospitality guys... is really yeah. going to suffer because nobody can go anywhere. So actually, some of the, uh, some of the advice that has been given out by um, Sasha Lord, who is the nighttime economy advisor of Greater Manchester, what a fantastic job title. Sasha Lord has said um, footfall is going to be a major problem. So to help out, if you can, walk to a pub. That's, right. <laughs> That's the advice. Yeah. Hey, Lord, but the, you know what? This is unfortunately going to go on. He, the head of the RMT was asked, he said, you know, does he think it's going to keep on going? He said, yeah, basically until they get what they want, they're just going to keep on striking. And as you know, being in London, I mean, everything falls to a halt, doesn't it? Yeah, Basically, when, the, when, when these kind of things happen. OK, well, we're going to the, uh, what are we on now, the Daily Mail? No, we're on to the Telegraph now. So this is barristers are going to strike as well. Now, this is a new one on me. I yes. thought barristers were relatively well paid. Uh, uh, they are. I mean, the flat whites they can make. <laughs> very good. Uh, but no, obviously, uh, we're talking about legal barristers. Well, apparently, um, the barristers are the next to strike as they um, are going to back walking out. Apparently, after expenses, barristers in the first three years of their um, becoming this uh, person with the cape and the wig, they make 12,000 
something pound after expenses. 12,000 million pounds? No, not 12,000 million, like literally 12,000, like after expenses. Because it is very difficult to become a barrister at the beginning. You you have huge amount of debt. You have to do all yes, of this I can training. Believe that. And they, um, so they want, they were offered a pay increase of 15%, which would equate to about 7,000, but they want a pay increase of 25%, yes. which would equate to about 11,600 or something. Sorry, it's my fag packet maths. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the next lot to, to say, I'm sorry, but we can't do this. And I have a funny feeling that now the barristers are going to be taking advices from their clients. Well, sure. I mean, I'm just surprised to hear that. I mean, this seems like it's spreading to every industry, right? Yeah. Because we're all suffering under the cost of living crisis. So yes. at some point, everyone's going to do this. Josh, well, they were saying you... this a few months ago, and that was what the bank, the head of the Bank of England was saying, please don't ask for pay rises yeah. because then it's going to make the situation worse. And that's yes. exactly where we're going to now is everybody's going, wait a minute, they're getting a pay rise. Oh, they want a pay rise. They want- Well, speaking of which, can we go on to this other story in The Telegraph? And this is uh, about teachers striking as well. Josh, you got these details? I do have these details. And um, first of all, they're talking about doing it in... Uh, the beginning in the in the beginning of the autumn term. Yes. If I may be so bold to say to the teachers union, could you please do it like a couple of days before the summer holidays or after, and that way we can get some cheap flights out of this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's just that's my two. Well, cents. I mean, you've got lots of kids as well, so you will know. I do have lots of kids. Every day they're off school is a day that I lose more hair. Well, th- th- there's the impact on you. Yeah. I was thinking more about the impact on them and their education. Maybe that, they maybe are, that should be the priority. You're right here. You're right. They are traumatised still. They are much thicker than they would have been pre-COVID. <laughs> that sounds like a good excuse. Yeah. <laughs> they are yeah. dumb. Nothing dumb. to do with genetics, Josh. No, it's all no. me and my terrible teaching. Look, I first of all, after teaching them for two years, I respect teachers. I respect the job that they do. Yes. I'm not good at it. I can say that definitively. But it would be nice if they... Focus. I, they deserve more money. They deserve a lot of money. Just give them whatever money there is and just keep my kids in school. Please. Yes. That's how I feel about <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you do? I mean, teachers, again, teachers have a hard time of it. And I think, you know, I, I, I've been a teacher, so I fully understand this. And, you know, uh, but by the same token, when a teacher goes on strike, there are direct ramifications to the children. And I also know that when teachers are missing from school, when kids don't have their education, even a week, even a week of missed work mm. is pretty catastrophic yeah. very difficult to catch up yes but um, I, I like to think that the teachers before they go on strike they will set a homework saying okay everybody make me a placard that says mm-hmm. uh we need more pay and then all the parents will have to do it because isn't that what you do anyway you have to do all your kids homework anyway so you'll be there like making the placard that your teacher is going to you don't do your kids homework do you josh you shouldn't i don't do my kids homework no uh too hard uh yeah i just can't be bothered to <laughs> <laughs> That level of interaction. I hope they're not watching. Anyway, next, let's go on to the independent. There's a new pandemic on everyone's minds, Diane. What's this one about? Yes. Now, um, so the independent has come out with this article, which is that Britain faces a mental health crisis. Mm. And it is saying that um, it's a threat of pandemic proportions. Um, so recently, there was the Royal College of Psychiatrists International Congress blah, mm. in Edinburgh. And uh, one of the people there, Dr. James... Uh, said that essentially, yes, uh, it's a threat of pandemic proportions and we need £300 million to fund this, um, fund mental health services. Now, if you read this article, what they've done is they've then also taken um, four different polls from different charities that support people with mental health problems. Yes. And they crammed them all into this article 
to the point where if you don't have mental health problems before you read it, you certainly will <laughs> afterwards. But, but, but this is a big issue, isn't it? Mm. And surely, Josh, this has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Lots of people this locked away. This is pre-pandemic. Away. Yeah, pre-pandemic, OK. But this, it, it hasn't helped. No, it hasn't helped at all. But they were saying how underfunded it was years and years ago yeah. and how it kept, the problem was getting worse in the world that we live in. Here's the most important part for me of this article. 4.3 million people last year... Uh, were mentally uh, were referred to mental health units. Yes, uh, and there's a backlog of 1.4 million people who are waiting to start treatment. So, do you think it's a case that we are, you know, when we talk about funding of the NHS, we often neglect mental health services? Yes, and it hasn't been integrated properly, and it hasn't been they haven't been sort of put together. They were like separate units. Yeah, and really, it's part of a larger um, sort of not problem, but. Uh, they all they are connected. Mental health, yes. physical health, it's all part of the same thing. But I think, you know, I go back to this point that we, we are feeling the impact of the pandemic and the lockdowns now, because at the time, there didn't seem to be this discussion about, you know, yeah, OK, we, the lockdown would obviously, uh, is intended to curtail the spread of the virus. But was there much risk assessment on the basis of the impact that this would have on people's mental health? Not at all. Not at all. I don't think that people, I don't think at any point were they thinking, what is the psychological impact of telling people that if they go see their loved ones, they could kill them? Yes. There is there, I, nothing I think was prepared. In fact, we were all, it was all the whole Project Fear thing and we were all told to stay indoors. And now coming out of that, I mean, I don't know about you, but there, there are so many people I know who just had complete meltdowns yeah. during the pandemic. I think that's happened. But it's interesting that this, this article is talking about how it affects children as well. And this yeah. article says that uh, apparently um, the impact of money worries for British families has caused 47% of children to feel stressed. That strikes me as quite strange because children don't normally uh, feel that way about these sort of economic issues. I mean, is it the case that perhaps there's been a kind of over-therapeutic culture within schools and with children to encourage them to feel anxiety? I think it could be a trickle-down, actually. I think it's more to do with uh, if you can't afford clothes, if you can't afford new books, if you can't afford pens, mm. and children are aware of that. They're aware if they're if they haven't got the right bag or if they haven't got the right thing or if they can't go on a trip or if their friends are going to the cinema and their parents say, well, I'm sorry, we can't afford to buy a cinema ticket. I mean, your kids seem pretty happy though, Josh. That's because I earn so much money. Yeah. Uh, So they're totally fine. No, it it is, um, yeah, because there are lots of hugs and kisses, but uh, it is a problem. Look, I had some money problems a couple of years ago. There's no doubt that it it, it weighs upon you massively. Yes, and it's course. something, and it's constant. Yeah. And you're constantly freaking out about it, and you're constantly paranoid like the boiler's going to go. Like, the, what's the thing that's going to put me over the edge here? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's gonna, and it's really, and it's just getting harder and harder for a lot of people, for, for most people now. Um, yeah. And this is not helping things. Yep. Okay. So we'll move on now to Tuesday's Guardian. And number 10 may have interfered. In press freedom, Josh. What's this? Yeah, it's not may have. They did interfere. They asked. Can we say that for sure? Yeah. Okay. That's what it says right here. Okay. In the Guardian. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait a plunge. Go for it, Josh. Wait wait a minute. It said maybe. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 they did. They did. What we do know. This is the article about the the Carrie Johnson Johnson story that was in the Times. So do you want to tell us what that story was about? So that story was that basically Boris Johnson, when he was a foreign secretary. Uh, supposedly offered her a job as um, chief, his chief of staff, which is taxpayer funded. Um, so there's all of what, 100,000, was it? Yeah, something like that. that. And that was, paid? by the way, when he was married at the time. Ah, OK. Uh, well. uh, then there was also talk that someone, um, uh, Dominic Cummings, saying that he offered her a job 
later when he became prime minister as well. So, yeah, but, you know, I don't trust everything that Dominic Well, let me just... Says, here, you know. here we go. Right. First of all, a spokesperson <laughs> for Carrie Johnson told The Guardian that the allegations were totally untrue. Mm-hmm. A Downing Street source described it as grubby and discredited and totally untrue. Now, yeah. I don't know whether to believe that. If you want to know whether it's 100% like, untru- like true or untrue, yeah. once Boris Johnson tells us it didn't happen, then it definitely happened. OK. That's when we know. You're such a cynic. But what we do know for sure is that it took uh, Downing Street... They, they were On the day, they got the article removed. It was so, in uh, the newspaper It was in already. the newspaper on Saturday's Times in the morning. By the time we got to the later editions on the day, it was gone. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty fast uh, And moving. not just there, the Daily Mail also then republished the article in a slightly different form, and then they pulled it as well. Well, you know what this is, though? This is like the Streisand effect. You know, if you, if you try and pull something, if you try and hide it, mm. more, there's more attention drawn to the article, drawn to the story. That's what's happening here, right? I have never heard of that before. What I did love... Was was seeing uh, the photographs on Twitter of the two articles and how Carrie Johnson just went into Pretty Patel. <laughs> that was incredible for me. They, d- they even didn't change the layout of the article and it, it suddenly jumped from this, you know, um, seedy kind of, oh my God, he was trying to get his lover into... He was, she was going to be his chief of staff. Wait, are you suggesting that... Chief John- of his staff? Wait, yeah, 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 very- yeah, right? Goodness me. Was, are you suggesting that Johnson was already having a fling with... Uh, sorry, Boris Johnson was having a fling with Carrie at that time? I'm suggesting a big oh. time. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know what goes on in people's <laughs> private lives and uh, I wouldn't want to allege anything that isn't necessarily But why free. was it on page five of The Times instead of the front page? It's the front page Maybe story. they weren't sure. Maybe they're like, oh, maybe this yeah, is true, maybe well, it's not yeah. true. Well, they... But, I mean, this is the, the key question now because now you've got... Uh, there are sources telling The Guardian that the story was, in fact, correct. So yeah. then it comes down to... At what point should Downing Street be allowed to step in and say, remove an article? And at what point should an editor of a national newspaper uh, acquiesce? Absolutely. This is shoddy work. Oh, my God, look at this. The current Downing Street director of communications was actually used to work at the Times. <gasps> what? Now, I, uh, we're getting <laughs> what does close. that mean, do you think? <laughs> we're getting close to some allegations there, which I'm I think... Gonna, I'm going to smell my fingers some more. This is really helping my brain. <laughs> Let's move on now to Tuesday's Independent with... Caitlyn Jenner giving her take on the transgender swimming ban. Diane. Yeah, so um, FINA, which is the uh, Federation Internationale de Natacion, uh, which means the International Swimming Federation. Well, why don't they just call it that, for goodness sake? Oh, God. <laughs> You've got to live a little. Spaghetti bolognese was not made in Britain. So, like, basically they've said that um, if you are transgender, by all means compete, but you get your own category. Yeah, so an open category for transgender athletes. Yeah. And what, the, what they're saying is that if you go through male puberty, then you will have a massive advantage over other competitors. Yes. That seems fair enough to me. And, uh, and now that Caitlyn Jenner has said that's right, yeah. I mean, that sort of blows apart this, this myth that, that uh, there's a kind of trans community that everyone within that community feels the same way about this stuff. They don't. There's huge debates going on within the, those communities. These are individuals we're talking about, not a collective group. Absolutely. And... I think a lot of trans people are also angry about some of what the trans, what are called trans right activists are saying on their behalf. And when you argue with trans right activists, which we do, and doing it online on Facebook, like it's mental. Just speaking, people like comics that we know. I've had a stupid thing last days on Facebook, and they're just they literally saying, "Yeah, there's no biological difference. There's no difference. They're, they're not any stronger." And you're like. Here's a photo. This person is twice the size, twice as wide. Science proves that there's 
differences with but the they heart. Know, they know that there's, that, you know, that's the case. But they but, just but, can't but, say it. They can't say But they are still arguing the position that, no, no, they're exactly... The, 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 the twists of linguistics and logic that what you're, you're arguing with, with people to say that men and women are different. Yeah, we have to accept that acknowledging biological reality is not transphobic. Yeah. It yeah. just isn't. Yeah. And, and, and the suggestion that it is is what's stifling so many debates because to be called a transphobe is one of the worst things you can be called. Um, one, one thing that's quite interesting about this article, though, is it talks about how uh, competitors must have completed their transition before the age of 12 mm. in order to compete, right? Now, I had Debbie Hayton uh, on the show, on my show yesterday, who's a uh, trans teacher, and she was saying, well, no, this is going to encourage young people to yeah. go through the transitioning process far too early, at a point where they're not in a position to make those kind of decisions. Is there a nervousness about that? Is there a that, worry Yeah, that was a ridiculous... Yeah. I, I just want to say, that's a ridiculous thing, and I w- just want to say reason why, one of the reasons is, because when you're putting on puberty blockers and stuff that early... It has a real, um, and sorry to get a bit crass here, but it stunts the development of the genitalia. And that genitalia is then used in uh, transitional surgery. Transitional surgery. Yep. But if they don't have, if you don't have large enough genitalia, you can't then actually get the surgery later on. If yep. That makes sense. Yep. That's why I never transitioned. Thank you, Josh, for that vivid <laughs> image. Uh, I think we'd better move on there because we have got a break, thankfully. <laughs> and coming up after the break, could grammar schools be the answer to levelling up? Uh, the word woman might be making a comeback. And Mr Kipling goes woke. See you in a minute. Join us for Ministry of Offence, the comedy panel show that's just like the news, and that the left fights the right, and it doesn't really seem to matter who wins. We cover the big stories. It was, in fact, a troop of baboons and not angry vegans. I like that. And the really important stories. Fat naked cow gets stuck in swimming pool. It's a headline in a lot of local newspapers. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the same team, Nick. Yeah, but I'm just helping you. Join us for Ministry of Offence, Saturday nights, 8 o'clock on GB News. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Andrew Doyle, and my lovely panel, Josh Howie and Diane Spencer. We're going to get right onto it because there's so many stories to get through. Tuesday's Times first with the story of sexism in the sporting world. Josh, you know a thing or two about sexism, don't you? Being I know about sexism. I know more about sexism than I do about sport. Uh, well, then uh, this is why we've come to you. There we go. So this has happened at Lord's Cricket Ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, this woman who, were, who was the captain of the Oxford team, yes. uh, Oxford University's historic cricket club, is basically saying that the, they, she wanted to play their game against Cambridge at Lords in the main pitch, and they yes. were like, no, no, no. Uh, and she said they were hostile, belittling, dismissive language, behaviour, communication and treatment, basically like how I treat you, you know, off, off camera. And, um, and so she says this has caused her psychiatric injury. Now, we should say that these allegations are being denied and, by... Yeah, and, they, and she said she was going to file a thing. Yep. Uh, she hasn't filed it. So given official. that we, we don't know, it is a bit yeah. of a he said, she said article, to be honest. Um, but should it not be the case, Diane, that uh, the women's cricket team ought to be able to play at Lord's in the way that the men's cricket team do. What yeah. Bad, badly. Well... <laughs> I mean, not as well, yeah. but should, they should be able to play, right? Yeah, because they'll just throw like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there are those issues. Yeah, I think they're just worried that, you know, if you let the women onto the crease and they're just going to set up their ironing boards and they sort of ruin, like, the grass. Yeah, and, there you know, is, obviously yeah, the high heels, that risk. they just ruin all the turf. <laughs> and you pick up the cricket bat and go... Don't mention turf when it comes to sport, OK? <laughs> why, why would it be an issue? I, I, I genuinely don't understand. It's not like they don't have the available space or the available... Time to oh, put on the other match. 
really important grass. It's is, like is it, is it male grass, masculine grass? It's masculine grass. It's like the grass. It's like the difference between the rough on a golf course yes. and the green on a golf course. Yeah, it does seem right? like a, a when women step one. onto the grass at Lords, oh, it wilts. Yeah. It it's just like, like is women's cricket better? I mean, because I prefer women's tennis to yes, men's me tennis too, yeah. because you can watch it. Like, so you can see it. It, it, it's it's not over in two seconds. Yeah. Uh, is it the same with cricket? No, it's probably, cricket, it's probably cricket, even slower. It's probably even more. Boring. Well, cricket takes days as it is. Doesn't yeah. It? yeah, but you see, the problem with women's cricket is obviously we like to have a chat in between, gossip all a our bit. Nails. Mm. But the good thing about women's cricket is the drinks are better because you know we make cocktails and we bring aperitifs. Yes, if anyone's wondering, uh, that is irony. <laughs> so we're going to move on now to Tuesday's Daily Mail. And our National Health Service may have just admitted that women exist. Diane, this is a step forward for the NHS, isn't it? I mean, this is amazing. In all the years that it's been there, they've, they've come to acknowledge that women um, can have... Uh, but a oh word. God, a don't, w- don't say that word. It I hurts know. my ears. Explain, I mean, explain what's happening because so, the word woman had been taken off some of their documents. Is yes, that right? Yes, but taken off some of the most important and crucial and heartbreaking documents, documents to do with miscarriage. Right. So it's quite important. The sex of the patient is quite relevant. Mm. It's, more, it's so relevant. Yeah. And even the word woman was removed from uh, the bits of the document to do with the emotional impact of having a miscarriage. Right. And it is, of course, connected to being a woman. And, and the thing about this is... <laughs> I'm not a scientist. Is that an understatement? understatement I'm not, of I'm, I'm not a scientist, uh, but that's my understanding. Don't, don't, don't sit on the fence, Andrew. No, well, you know, you're doing well. You're doing well. Let me well. tell you, though, this is interesting because, you know, every time we get a story like this and we think, OK, good, some common sense is prevailing... Mm. Uh, but then there's another story about how uh, the, the word woman's going to be completely eliminated somewhere else. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it's always like it's, it's one step forward and about 20 steps back every time with this. So I think we shouldn't rest on our laurels here, should we? No, they're using things, phrases, people who miscarry. And then they say things like, and this is where it has real world ramifications apart from just being <sighs> offensive, is when they say uh, the miscarriage only affects about one in 100 people. Well, wait a minute. Does that mean that it's... Two in a one in a hundred women, one right, exactly. one in fifty it, women. It actually does have an impact on understanding. Yeah. And, and as you've said before on this program, is when you have these NHS documents that are using these euphemisms for for ovaries or vulva or whatever, yeah. you end up with people who, who don't speak English as a first language getting actually confused, not getting invited to their various the tests that they need. There, there are serious ramifications. It's so rude. Well, it's rude. Yeah. But it's, it's it's really rude that parts of your body are ignored. It's yes. really rude that like the that what you are is ignored in the favour of. Like, I'll be honest with you, a very, very, very small minority and it's worried about hurting their feelings. And it's like, look, I'm sorry, but this is 50% of us. Is there any evidence, though, that the word woman is upsetting to trans people? Because I've never and met also, a trans we're person. Talking, we are, never, in terms like, of pregnant, we're talking... I think we're talking, like, two two births, three births yeah, or something yeah. like that. I mean... Who well, it's, it's, for trans men? It's just interesting. Uh, it, there seems to be a war on language. Um, I mean, there's been so so many examples. So the New York Times starting to use the phrase menstruators. Tampax oh! using the phrase people who bleed. We've had birthing parents, birthing yeah. people. But they had so, trans women advertising tamp- different tampons, different types of tampon. People who will never have a period and they're like giving them out as like these are the ambassadors right. of their... So what's going on here? And why is it, by the way, that this doesn't happen with men? So we don't get uh, people with prostates. We don't get men with the X instead of the E, as we've had woman with an X instead of the E. So it all seems to be directed in one way. We're supposed to just take it. 
we're supposed to literally just go, oh, that's okay. Yes, of course. That's literally what we're supposed to do. But you're not going to. No. Good. Good well, for you. Can I just say one more thing? This is actually a point I want to say on the last story, yeah. where they basically said, uh, with the cricket, they said, we're equal gender, whatever. And this is just a point that I read on Twitter today or yesterday, is the, word, the use of the word gender, we need to get rid of that, or that should just refer to gender identity stuff and it should be anytime they mean sex, start using sex properly. So when they're saying here gender equality, they mean sex equality when they're talking about cricket. In the NHS, made their, this is their statement in, in, uh, in response to this, they said the NHS is available to all irrespective of gender, race, disability, age, sexual orientation, religion, belief, da-da-da-da-da. Now, if they're using gender in the way of gender identity, yeah. then again, women have no, not been included. It's a real problem because when Andrew Lansley in- introduced the same-sex accommodation law in 2010 at the NHS... Uh, there were secret documents in the NHS saying, but really we're talking about gender identity, but we should use the word sex because otherwise we'll confuse uh, the public. So there's been some misleading stuff going on here and it's very, very dangerous. Anyway, let's move on now. Grammar schools back on the levelling up agenda. Josh, what's this about? Yes, yeah, so um, Boris Johnson, not, you know, uh, taking it, uh, not just sort of sitting back because he's like in trying to bring back the pow- the two-penny Widget imperial measures, yeah, and all these funny things. He's now now the next step is bringing back cameras. Uh, okay, but so so he's saying that there's a serious consideration of a plan to bring back the grammar school system. Yeah, is it really that bad, Josh? It did lift a lot of poor people well, out of poverty. But then, of course, at the moment with the 164 grammar schools that exist, a lot of them are come from fee paying primary schools and people who are paying tutors. So it's a lot of advantage kids getting into those schools now. There's no reason to see that that's not going to be replicated. So you basically get rich people going to a grammar school that's going to essentially be like... But that a would be a problem. School. But what, if the system was done properly, though, wouldn't this be maybe a positive thing for some people, Diane? No, you see, I think it would because uh, I also was a secondary school teacher and there is such a thing as differentiation yeah. where you have uh, some kids who... Uh, just need a little bit more time. They love, They are a little bit more practical. You have some kids who are, like, very academic, very kind of, like, book-focused. So you're talking about the smart kids and the thick kids, basically. That's No, but I'm not. No? No, I'm really genuinely not. I thought you were just being nice. Well, I, no. I'm still stuck on differential. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, you, could, you can be academically smart, but you could be, like, practically just inept. Of course. So, so there's different ways to be clever. And my point is, is that if you're going to be academically clever, then it kind of helps if you're with other people who are, like, book smart. But if you're practically useless... Oh. Yes, but can stick, you, I mean, stick the you, geeks with the geeks. Yeah, but can you differentiate that in a, an 11 plus... In one test, you know, and there is that sense in which that then uh, sort of decides the rest of your life. It sort of decides your fate. But it doesn't That's a bit unfair. No, this this whole like idea that school decides who you are is rubbish, and we need to release that from children. That is so much pressure to put on children. That's true. I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was thirty four, and by that time, I'd already been a secondary school teacher. I'd been a PA. I'd lived in another country for four years. Like, there's so much that school is just it just You're over thirty four. <laughs> I, do, I do wonder about this because I, I, I don't. My mind isn't settled on this. I don't know what I think about it quite. Mm. I do see a lot of the arguments for grammar schools. I do see that people who were born in utter poverty uh, were able to have an education and get out of poverty. But then schools aren't all about social mobility. They're about education for its own sake. And maybe we need to relook at our education system. Have teachers who have a real love for their subject, who who go off curriculum sometimes. Because I think our national curriculum is very rigid, very restrictive, and the more creative. 
dare I say it, eccentric teachers don't do well. We want more of those, though. Yeah, we I want think. some uh, dead poet society. Yeah, we want people standing on the desks. Come on. But uh, the critics will say that they should just raise the whole system up. That's what they should say. Right, right. But whether that is reality or not, because as you say, there are a bunch of thick kids out there. But you know what? That's <laughs> not what I said. Yeah, that's what she's, you said exactly. I just want to make one, one very quick point. You know how I find the real story within the story? This is the real story in the Times, OK? Guess who's the biggest campaigner for the grammar schools? Go on. Is Sir Graham Brady, who is the chairman of the 1922 Committee of Tory Backbenchers... Yes. So is Boris Johnson pushing this to get in with the 1922 committee? Yep. Because he... Pygate! Boom! Josh Howey exposing the conspiracy at the heart of Westminster. Heard it here first. Sticking with tomorrow's mail now, trans issues again. Josh, you're our trans expert now. Especially because <laughs> you've got the nail varnish on today. Thank you, yeah, this is it. So is this the uh, Japanese court? Oh. No. Oh, is more time. Yeah, oh, the not a trans issue. Oh, oh. Yeah, no, the food. Oh, no, no. I see what's happening. Yes, no. Mr. Kipling's cakes. Mr. Kipling's oh. cakes. Yes. Uh, now we actually saw. We did this a couple of uh, maybe a month or two ago. But they were offering uh, trans inclusivity training to staff. But they've. I think they. What was it? Maybe another no, company. No, they were doing that at Aldi. Oh, I get. I, I get more. One of up. those. Yeah. Okay. So well. So they're offering trans inclusivity training to staff at Mr. Kipling. At Mr. Kipling. Is Mr. Kipling himself doing the the course? Yes, he's famously woke. But, uh, Ms. Ms. Kipling now. Ms. 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 With an X. With an Kip- X. Kipling with a... Anyway. Uh, but they're also offering, which I think is really good, online training for menopause and also uh, maternity coaching sessions. I like this. Yeah, so these are some of these are really good. And why not have some uh, trans-inclusivity well, training? Wait a minute. Right? You say this, Diane, that you like this idea. But it talks about they'll have menopause champions and they're going to have menopause cafes where people can sit around and discuss the menopause. Um, from my understanding, do, do, do women who are going through the menopause want to sit down at work and discuss it? Well, um... They will stand at work and discuss it whilst you're working with them. So wouldn't it be nice if they had a space where they could sit down and discuss yeah, it? Yeah, but that's, it does sound like a terrifying cafe because could you imagine if someone got the order wrong or they're away? Where's my order? I mean, for anybody who's just... been around menopausal women, it's, uh, you know, where, don't get that order no, wrong. It, like, it's nice that they're going to do this for the staff because then... You know, sometimes, especially with the HRT shortage, yes. there's an HRT shortage. So that means that some women will be having the brain fog. They'll be having the flushes. They can't manage their symptoms. Yes. And so it's quite nice that the person that they're working with will have had this training to go, mm. oh, wait a minute, I know exactly what's going on here. OK, yeah. well, there's a case for that. I do worry about the trans-inclusivity training insofar as uh, I often ask myself, where does this come from? Mm. If they've signed up, and I don't know if they have, but if they've signed up to, say, Stonewall's Diversity Inclusion Scheme, you're going to end up with a lot of gender identity ideas ideology yeah. push through this you're going to be told people should start declaring their pronouns and there are ideological ramifications sex is a spectrum all of that yeah, yeah exactly that, yeah the gingerbread fact, man factually yeah. incorrect woman like or you know, exactly. gin, the gingerbread creature yeah but uh, i personally here's my inside story on this particular story guess what they're cheating that they're doing one course about the menopause yes. and they're doing one course about trans uh, gender reassignment surgery right guess who are the two sides of this debate properly so they probably did the gender reassignment thing and said you know who because we because the movement comes from menopause women like who are who are sort of the fighting the, right. against Josh, the you, ideology Josh, you're out of control so i'm going to calm you down now because you know <gasps> you've been sniffing too much of that nail varnish I'm sorry i gave him like i think he's had like three pieces of fun well, that, that explains right. this so look we're gonna to have to take a break so that we can burn a feather under josh's nose but coming up after the break are world war ii reenactors really evil the most expensive pint in the uk and a woman who steals garden gnomes diane <laughs> we'll see you in a minute
Welcome back to Headliners with me, Andrew Doyle, and this is the part of the show where it's going to get a little bit weird. We've got Josh Howie here and Diane Spencer to talk us through some of the odder stories inside tomorrow's papers. And we start with Tuesday's Independent, giving us an inside look into things going on in the British Army. Diane, what's going on here? Uh, well, apparently, orgies, orgies are fairly common amid slut-shaming culture of women, says Whistleblower. Right. Um, so uh, this comes after a troop of paratroopers were put under military police investigation after footage surfaced of them having an orgy with a civilian woman at Merville Barracks, which is in Colchester, which is where I gather most amateur porn is filmed. Is so, that right, in Colchester? As far as Just I idiot. understand it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the woman was having a, a lovely time um, and, however, there was a lot of chat going on and it was a totally consensual thing. But apparently you're not supposed to do this on a military base. Now, I don't is that know right? what... Well, I don't know what so the rules guns, are. guns around. So, so, wait a minute. So, this is... I, know, I don't know no, why I said that. No. I, don't, I don't know if that's true or not. No one is suggesting that this is non-consensual. This is a consensual yeah, event. Yeah, totally consensual. Filmed with consent. So Supposedly it was still toxic. Like, men were laughing in the video and sort of ridiculing her. Was and... Now, you say that, but... Some people, and let's not kink shame here, okay. some people would enjoy that kind of yes, thing. Yes, the humiliation element to it. Yeah. So, so, Josh, you know, but isn't this... I, I mean, I don't know the rules about the barracks, but surely soldiers having sex is nothing new? That they're, no, they're, well, they're gonna there, there are some things in this article that don't make sense. Like the whistleblower says, you know, because they're young men, a lot right. of them, um, and she's saying, and every weekend they drink. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's makes sense. But there's no doubt that the army has a problem with its... Uh, female personnel. There's, yes. a, you know, they did a big study. Sure, but that's not what this is about. No. So this particular video is, I think, what they should do is only hire gay men. I agree. Army. Exactly. Like that that army in in Sparta. Yeah. Like then they're, the they're all they're all going to fight for each other more intensely because yeah. of their sexual connection. That was the logic behind the Greek army. Yeah. It was that they would fight ten times as strong because they're with their lover. Yeah, you so know, I think all gay armies. I think let's, get, let's make let's make the British Army a gay army, and uh, <laughs> let's see how that works out on Twitter for me. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's move on now. Uh, Daily Mail next, and uh, World War Two reenaction. Now, look, Josh. <sighs> can I just say? Now, I know that a lot of these people do these reenactments of yeah. battles and things. This is a group reenacting Nazi soldiers. What's yeah. going on here? Uh, so they're dressing up as Nazis. They've got their own. They're a proper like regiment. And they are committed to authenticity, uh, according to the group's website. And uh, the members experience uh, have great experiences and camaraderie you will struggle to find in any other hobby. So that's their hobby, basically, as is dressing as a Nazi. Uh, people are accusing them, of course, of making uh, light of horrific crimes of Nazi Germany, including the Holocaust. But I think this is actually quite a genius way of just being an out-and-out Nazi. So, yeah, because if you were a Nazi, you're in plain sight. Yeah, it's just like, like, oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm just, yeah, why are you wearing your uniform at Tesco's at work? Oh, no, I'm just testing my uniform for this weekend. So, go on, Diane. Well, this group have vehemently denied that they have any connections to any fascist groups. Yeah, they always do, don't they? And they are saying that they are educating children. Because let's face it, when you go somewhere like the Fleet Air Arm Museum uh, in Somerset, for example, Mm. uh, they have... uh, Nazi uniforms on display as well as having the Allied uniforms on display. And when you do a cosplay and you do a battle reenactment, if you want to have a successful battle reenactment, you do have to have both sides and not everybody wants to play the losers. Um, So... 
These are yeah. cosplayers. Do they? No, so they're not reenacting yeah. the battle, though, are they? They're not having like. Do they do something? Yeah, but, but they go and talk isn't to. Is that the point? Are they the... supposed to? It's I think they just. I think personally, they like dre- dressing up in Nazi. You uniforms. don't know that, Josh, and we should absolutely emphasize that we don't know what's going on. I in think their that head. they like dressing up in Nazi uniforms. We, I think <laughs> we can say that. They that's their enjoy... hobby. That, whatever. The, they, but, there you go. But that's we can't hobby. say that's anything about their political their hobby. But they said the unit said it sought to honor the fallen soldiers of all nations of World War II. I'm thinking, wait, what a great way to honour your grandparents. What a wonderful well, thing. I'm sure they'd be really happy. I, I do have to say, it is, it's a bit of a strange hobby, but then I find those people who dress up for battles a bit, I find that a bit strange, but that's just yeah. me personally. You know. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, now, this is um, Tuesday's Daily Star, Diane. This, uh, have you got this one? This is about oh, yes, a bomb I squad. yes, I do. So, um, little Leo Nixon is a Related very... to Nick Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> he is the love child of Leo Kirsten Nick Dixon. Yeah. So his name um, is Leo Nixon, five years old. Yes, he found a World War II bomb whilst magnet fishing uh, in a canal. He's part of the Leeds Magneters and they seem to go fishing with magnets. And... Well, not fishing for magnets. No, they fish with magnets. With because magnets. fish are so polluted now, you can catch them because they've got so much mercury in them. You can uh, just like, yeah, get them, pull them out with the, with the metal. Them up and with you it. just stick them on your fridge instead of putting them in the fridge. I'm yeah. sure the fish love that. That sounds like fun. So he found, what was it, a bomb? Well, this kid is like a genius. He's like Magneto of the uh, Leeds Magnetus world. He found a World War II bomb, uh, which his his dad actually said, oh, it's really annoying when you find an artillery (laughs) shell because you know it's just going to cause a problem because everybody has to turn up and the bomb squad have to come and it just disrupts everyone, which I think is very grand that he said that. Um, But also, uh, the child has actually found a gun before. Uh, this child's an expert in, in uncovering weapons. Oh, yeah. I really hope that little uh, Leo sort of decides to go into some kind of forensic <laughs> searching later on in his life. I mean, he's already got the hobby for but it. But isn't it quite dangerous? I mean, it, 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 couldn't one of these things blow up? Oh, absolutely. And then they have to, like, they close down the whole area. But they found a grenade in the past. Yeah. So they, basically, he's single-handedly sort of de-arming Manchester. OK. <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. I'm not so sure. Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a funny story if something bad had happened. Yeah. So no. Yeah, maybe, no. maybe they should take the magnet off him. Anyway, the Daily Mail next. This is a sad story about a mother and her son. Josh, is it a sad story? I think it's a happy... Well, I mean, she's got a son, so that's good for starters. Yes, but, but there's a lot of... Uh, she's facing quite a bit of prejudice. Yeah, because her, basically her son is quite pale. Suppose she's, she's married as a black mother, married to a white guy who's quite pale himself, and I think blonde-haired and fair-eyed and whatever mm. the, that vibe is. Probably should join this... Um, Nazi thing, that we, yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, reenactment thing. Anyway, but supposedly the kid is even paler and people are... She put some photos on online and yeah. people are sort of going, wait a minute, is this really your kid? And she says, out and about in the streets, this is in America... Um, people like go up to her and think it's not her kid or think she's a babysitter. That's so rude, though. That is so it? rude. I will say, can I just say one thing? I, th- in my experience <laughs> You've of America, said many things, well, I'll just say in America, I think it's uh, it's slightly different there because here, I think there's it's much more of a melting pot, and I think you're used to sort of see. But I think over there, there's still it's still there's still a lot of separation. Really? I think it's changing. But I think over here, it's a much more different situation. What do you think, Dan? Well, I know that if I stand next to a small ginger child on a train, everybody will instantly assume that child belongs to that woman. Okay, I, I, I could see, have run away I with see. several of kids' Josh's. Uh, yeah, I've got, kids, Josh's, I've got a Josh's bunch of, bunch of redheads. It's got loads it sounds of like you've been thinking kids. about this for a while. Well, mm. I, some of them, I thought, yeah, I couldn't have that one. That looks quite good. And just turn up at, at like my parents' house. Look, did it! Um, but I find this interesting because... Many, many adverts will... um, I do acting and I go for commercial castings 
And it's most of the time, I say 90% of the time, it's multicultural families. Yeah. Mm. So that's quite interesting to me that um, in an advertising sense, there are multicultural families everywhere, but an actual multicultural family has this difficulty yeah, in real life. Maybe it is an American thing. But I just, yeah. I just can't imagine being that rude to say, is that really your child? No, that's, no, a, no, no, yeah, that's, that's insane. It's really rude. rude. That's, that's Americans for you. There we go, Americans. Let's move on now. This is Tuesday's Independent. Another comedian using his voice to fight back against cancel culture, Diane. Yes, so Rowan Atkinson, who I've actually met. He was a very mm. nice chap. He's very tall. Um, he said that every joke has a victim. Um, and he's just said that it's comedy's job to offend. So this is an interview he gave with the Irish Times, and obviously this is this is a story that's always in the press at the moment because comedians are getting in trouble for causing offence. Rowan Atkinson, he thinks that's fine. Yes, well, do you agree? He does, well, because what I do, I, well, I agree with his definition of it again because mm. when you look down and he says, you know, what if there's? He says you've always got to kick up, really. And he said, what if there's someone extremely smug, arrogant, aggressive, self-satisfied who happens to be below? Yes. Society. So, you know, they're not all in the House of Parliament and in monarchy, like Josh. <laughs> so he makes a very excellent point. It's like, it, you know, you could have somebody who's immensely kind and wonderful and who happens to be sort of a millionaire or something. It's difficult, isn't it? How yeah. do we know which way we're punching up or punching down? When, you know, some people would say that when, when one comedian's punching down, for other people, he's punching up. You know, this happens all the time. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't like the phrase punching up, punching down. No, what, what, who, who gets to decide the rules? I'm, I like... Karate Kick 360. <laughs> that's my vibe. But that's because you're a, a sort of comedy veteran. Yeah, just for just everybody. No, I, it's just like the focus on the victim. The vi- you know, there are going to be victims, victims in groups. Well. Yeah, and all this stuff. Look, uh. jokes are meant to be funny. That's the focus. Funny that you have to of, remind people. Yeah, that. yeah. And, but that because you see all the people complaining because of Ricky Gervaisy, all this and that. And yeah. I didn't think it was an amazing special. I thought there were there were holes, but there were bits that were properly funny. And same with same with. No, Dave but people Chappelle. were saying after that, oh, it's not actual comedy; it's just hate I, speech. It's no, like, there's in a stadium for the people laughing their heads off. Jokes. That should give you the clue. Yeah, but also, but it isn't funny for them. And people Fine. forget to add the phrase for oh, me. Yeah. They only added that phrase because people yeah. always write to you and they go, uh, some people go, oh, I love you, I think you're great. And you go, thank you. And some people write to you and go, you're not funny. And you, you think, no, all you have to do is just add for me. I've got, it's so so You know what I do is when I have a bad gig, I always at the end give like a false name. I give another comic's <laughs> yeah. name. So you if they're going to get an email. I've been Andrew Doyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, good night. Good night, thank there you. We go. Tomorrow's Metro Now. What's the most you've ever spent on a pint, Josh? Um, yeah, like, this is not certainly not 80 pounds and 15 pence. 80 pounds on a pint. 80 pounds and 15 this pence which in, a, in a London pub. This is some micro craft beer company in Brixton. They should be named and shamed for yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Outrageous. It's an imported American craft ale. It's on sale for 105 pounds for a 750 milliliter bottle. But as Boris Johnson would say, 1.3 pints. And, um... Yeah, it's a ridiculous amount of money. I suppose it's not even very good. You can get, like, a Dom Perignon for that, can't you? I mean, what's a... I, you know... I wouldn't know. That's outside of my price. buy, like, a meal for six people and drink at, at Weatherspoons for that money. <laughs> that is... yeah. I mean, that's it. I, I just can't believe that anyone's actually going to buy this, surely. Well, so, you know, city people. But then what? They would, buy, they would buy champagne. Why would they buy a... A pint or whatever. But some guy here is like, oh, this is crazy. I mean, the most I've ever spent is £45. What? Like, what? That's crazy. What are you doing? I mean, it all tastes of urine yeah. anyway, doesn't it? Beer. It's not very nice. Uh, I mean, that's the whole point of it. Anyway, let's move on now. We've got uh, the, the Sun next with a scoop about a man 
who took on the council over his underground man cave, Josh. What is an underground man cave? Well, it's a literal man cave. He's built this bunker, basically, and he said that this is his dream. He built it in 2015. It's got a flat-screen TV, a drum kit, several video consoles, and this is his dream. So, basically, his childhood dream was to grow up to be an incel. Uh, (laughs) That's what he did. But now he's built a tunnel from his kitchen to the bunker. So he doesn't have to see the light of day. (laughs) I mean, it sounds a bit antisocial to me, doesn't it? This is an odd hobby. It's a bit Shawshank Redemption-y. No sunshine. And at night, what he would do is he'll dig the tunnel and then he would sort of walk out during the day in his garden and lower the dirt outside of his pockets. (laughs) Okay. Is there a female equivalent of a man cave or is this just something that men do? Yeah, I think it's just the ladies' bathroom. Is that all it is? It's pretty much... Women... women No, the whole point of the man cave is women control and own the rest of it no, wait, the and men get room. the mad cave no it's the sewing room it's like it's the room where you where you do your hobbies and you lock make, your, your, make your fudge is that well, that that's is the, the kitchen, kitchen. Yeah. and although that might sound weird uh, diane actually does make fudge it's not a euphemism She's very very good <laughs> at that uh, finally we've got time for one more story i think this is uh, tuesday's mirror now with a story about a man with a grudge against garden gnomes. <gasps> Diane, what's this about the garden gnomes? Da, da, da. So this was on Reddit. So um, his neighbour created this beautiful uh, display of garden gnomes, but one of them terrified his five-year-old son, so he stole it out of her garden. <gasps> they can be quite creepy, though. And I've always mm. thought, like, because I'm a big fan of horror films, I've always thought they could do a good film about a gnome coming to life and, ki- and killing people. I'd watch that. What do you think of that, Josh? Do you think that's a good pitch? I think that you could be making some serious money off that. I, I'm wasted here. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> you know, when it comes to the plots of sort of B-movie horror. But, is it, but yeah, but it is interesting what this person would do for their kid. Their kid is terrified of the gnome and he hid, He just hid the gnome somewhere else in the garden and then he got in trouble and now his wife's in trouble. somebody else's I know, you display. don't. But you, look, you do stuff for your kids. And like, people are very, they love their gnomes and that, it might have had sentimental value. You can't just go around nicking I know, he did say to her, look, my kid's terrified at the gnome, would you mind moving it elsewhere? And now the kid's, like, afraid to play near it and all this stuff. All right, well, maybe maybe the kid needs to man up a bit as well. Anyway, (laughs) that's all we have time for. Thank you very much to my guests, Josh Howie and Diane Spencer. And do make sure that you join us for Headliners. We are on every night at 11 o'clock. So we'll see you tomorrow. Farewell. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.